You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss the primary research studies that can help outdoor brands find success in turbulent markets. How can brands understand their current place in the market using brand awareness and sentiment studies? Where are existing and potential customers and what messages resonate with them? Why do we love Max Diff and conjoint studies so much? Let's get into it. Quantitative market research, primary consumer research. That's how we guide our decisions. That's how we understand like what market opportunities exist. That's how we that's how we use targeted efforts to like find the right people, hit them with the right product. I mean, the real difference between qualitative and quantitative, I think, is missed often because you think qualitative, mm-hmm. you get discussion and you get people's opinions and you get their sort of self-reported, this is what I plan to do kind of stuff. And that's true. But you can get all kinds of quantitative data that's actually qualitative. Um, yeah. Quantitative data would be would be something like measuring retail sales or quantitative data would be like collecting RFID from people entering a park or going through going to a ski lift that's the kind of quantitative behavioral data that i think we could get more, our hands more on and i think would really help us triangulate the self reported data that you get on the qualitative side so qualitative would be you know the consumer surveys yeah that would be you know i do it for cross country about 3 times a year where we go out and and try and get about 1500 people to tell us about their cross country ski ex- experience and that's, that's, you know, the traditional kind of qualitative data that is really, really useful, you know, especially if you've got a very specific set of questions, like you know exactly what it is you want to learn, or you've got a, another specific purpose for that. Sometimes you can use qualitative research as a, as a foil for a marketing campaign, you know, basically. Yeah, for sure. How authentic is our brand? On a scale from one to ten, where one is really authentic and ten is the realest thing ever. <laughs> yes. Right? So yeah. you can you can do all kinds of things with, and that's you know we could talk about political polling forever today if we wanted to. There are a lot of issues there, but there are all kinds of ways to game that kinds of that kind of research. So one of the things that you need to make sure you're doing if you're to, if you're engaged in that kind of research is talk to somebody that understands methodology that will help you so that you don't end up with misleading data. Um, yeah. That bias, yeah, the the tendency to want to not not to want to inject but but to subtly inject the bias in and like you said like you're on a scale of awesome to amazing where we that stuff's really flattering and I've had a lot of uh when I, when I was consulting a lot of groups like we're really looking for flattering positive optimistic results but the best thing that we can do is to accurately measure where we are now so that we can chart a path forward right like we can't we can't map out our our road to success if we don't understand where we are and so like that that hard truth of like oh yeah you know we are going to learn something about ourselves here and it might not be what we're hoping for but that's going to help us set realistic goals for our growth for our product for whatever it is that's that's so key to make sure that it's unbiased otherwise you're just going to get useless data. Agreed. And frankly, sometimes worse than useless. I think it, <laughs> it is. useless data is like you look at it and you go, you know, let's say the margin is plus or minus 12. I just, I was just mm-hmm. talking about this this morning. 
That's something that my organization paid a lot of money for about 11 years ago. Um, and it, you know, it just, it just, I wouldn't have published it. I was explaining why I wouldn't publish it. And, you know, one of the reasons was that they, it was, it was full of questions that were double barreled. That oh, means yeah. two questions at once. It was full of loaded questions. Like, wouldn't it be nice if, and then it gives you a list of things that maybe you think it would be nice if, so you never have to say, I don't like this. Or, yeah. I mean, it just, it, you're, it was, you can do that kind of research. That research was not meant for that. That research was meant to be evaluative, but the, the people that wrote the research were the ones that were running the program. And God forbid, you know, you have to face some hard truths about your program. And that happens all the time. I mean, you, you've got to go into this in an objective and frankly, fearless way and ideally an independent way. Like if you can have somebody independent do your research for you. Because oh, yeah, you mean a third party? You know, you're going to bias your research. If you have a research person in house, that's a different matter. I mean, I yeah. would, we're, we're absolutely trained to do this. Like, you know, check notes, look at my, look at my bias worksheet from episode what? It yeah, was like, it was, it was a few episodes ago. And if you can't find it, get in touch with me, I'll send it to you. I mean, we are professionally trained to, to manage our bias, and it's mm-hmm. not easy. That sounds yeah. like it's, that's a lot like, the only analogy I have that really works for that, so people would understand, is when you tell people to try meditating, and they're like, ah, you just sit quietly and think about shit, right? It's exactly the same level of, of difficult <laughs> meditation, actually. Yeah, what a great analogy. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, it's if you want to have something that's going to give you insights that you don't have now... Mm-hmm. Do those things. If you just want to fluff, if you want to create something that's a fluff piece that that actually is just a fucking masterclass in confirmation bias, give me a call. I can do that too. <laughs> Absolutely no problem. On a scale from one to ten, I am. I think I could make the best survey ever. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. Yeah. Um. So, so what types of surveys, like what types of research instruments, are we talking about here? We're talking about satisfaction instruments. So yeah. all of those little satisfaction surveys you've ever seen, half of those, well, probably more than half, are completely biased. I mean, look at them in your mm-hmm. hotel room. I collect it. I collect those little cards because they're hilarious to me. You don't have one with you, do you? What's that? No, I don't. I, I don't have one I, on me. There, I'm sure it's around somewhere. Usually, yeah. I bring it home. I look at it. I laugh about it. Take a picture of it. Uh-huh. Send it to my research friends, and then throw it away. That's pretty yeah. much. Because it's uh, easy to you don't, a lot of companies aren't interested in finding out you're not satisfied about something. <laughs> yes, yes, you are exactly right. That is so funny to say it out loud, though. Yeah, and and the same could be said for like a brand awareness study. So that sort of like falls in this category too. How aware are customers in this category? How aware are they of my brand? And you don't want to know that they're not aware. You want to know that everyone knows your brand and everyone thinks positively about your brand and sees your brand as offering great value, sees your brand as a a reputable, whatever, you know, like, but that doesn't help you in any way. It's just fluff. Like you said, it's, it's just uh, this confirmation bias. It's not, not going to help you grow or help you like grab that target market. It's not going to help you take advantage of any market opportunities. 
No, it's not. I mean, when you're thinking about about what you're missing in terms of customers, you've got to do two things. You've got to get some of your customers, but you've got to balance that out with some of pe- some people that haven't been your customers yet, but are likely yeah. or f- fall in a category. So you, if let's say you sell backpacks, you've got to find people that buy your backpacks, and then you've got mm-hmm. to find a group of backpackers that is buying that are that are buying your competitors' backpacks or no backpacks at all, right? You've yeah. got to. F- got to find that you've got to find people that are that are backpacking frequently like you need some through hikers and then you need people that you know are just are just messing around casually maybe maybe they they go overnight a couple times a year and that's yeah. and that's it and they're probably not buying you know um any kind of a large capacity pack not, they're not worried about weight as much and it's funny because our our industry gets obsessed with these things you know, is yes. it, is it, let's shave some grams. Is this tent too heavy? I mean, it, that honestly, that could be one of the main litmus tests for any gear in the outdoors. Is it too heavy? How can we make it lighter? So you need feedback from a, a broad section of not only your customers, but your potential customers to really to really dig into, you know, what are you missing? If if you're doing some kind of a, of a brand identity analysis, Mm-hmm. Um, you you do want to find out if people don't know who your brand is, have no exposure to your brand. You want to measure that against your your brand share in retail if you're selling through retail, and you want to measure yeah. that against your sales to give you an idea. Like if fi- only five percent of a um, survey of fifteen hundred people who are who are um, validated in your category, you know, would are would be buyers of whatever it is you sell. Um, if only 5% recognize your brand and you've got brand share of say, you know, 1%, yeah, you know, these things are going to tell you, you've got to mix it with other data, but, but these, these kinds of short surveys and you've got to keep it short because consumers every year, their attention span gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yes. And we know this because we're human beings too. And we have short attention spans and I receive surveys all the time that, you know, I'll like, from my phone when I'm sitting at whatever I was, I was getting my tires rotated the other day. I was on my phone and I was like, okay, let me start the survey. And then you get halfway through it. And then they call you up to the counter and you leave and you forget about it. And later you pick it up. But like it, the information gathering process is so different now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we ought to be able to recognize that because we're on that end of it too, providing information. We all know that we have short attention spans. You have to account for that. Well, it's actually, it's, it's, I think that it's served me well. And I think it's actually an adaptation that young people are doing way better than, than old people. Um, but it requires multitasking and it requires you mentally to shift gears all the time. Yeah. And if you can't yeah. do it, then, you know, you can't do it. But when I take, when I look at those surveys, I mean, I'm looking at them to see, you know, probably first couple of questions they grab me. Do I think they're good questions? And if they get past about question 10, I'm out, out. I, I want, and it pisses me off. Yeah. Oh, if, um, if I'm like two or three questions into a survey and there's a progress bar and that progress bar hasn't moved, I'm done. So I can't, I can't devote 30 minutes. I looked, I just looked at a survey <laughs> instrument, an old one today. Mm-hmm. I just looked at a 25 page survey instrument and I'm talking about a survey instrument that was single space, 10 point font. Oh, wow. 25 pages of data they were asking for. This survey would have taken minimum three hours to complete minimum That's wild was it a government agency who whose survey was it uh, it was ours, it was ours. <laughs> i didn't do it, <laughs> it was ours. 
one of those when I looked at it, I'm like, we're not, I will not allow us to do that yeah. again. Yeah, that's a, I, I, I've had some of those on, on my end too with organizations that I've worked with. And, um, you know, it's tough because you try your best to trim the fat, but sometimes you want to know too much and, and it's just hard to to get it down. That was the white whale of, of yeah. survey instruments for me. And I did want to kill it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Call me Ishmael. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. that. Never again and and it's because of it's not just attention span i'm not sure we ever got accurate results with surveys like that frankly yeah i, I think people are more tolerant of sitting down and and giving it the whole college try to fill out your your five page instrument but frankly yeah. i i think we've always had a problem here um but now in addition to having issues with low response rates and long surveys we we lose a huge, huge cohort of young people when we do that. I mean, it's hard enough to get them to answer anything, anything. This what I was looking at that I told you was the it was it literally was a 25 page survey instrument. And oh, wow. guess what? They they sent it out direct mail. Yeah. Direct mail, snail mail. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. No, nobody under 35 would <laughs> even. They, I wouldn't. I'd look inside to see if there's like one of those. Nielsen sends me five bucks about. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to get this, and, and I take their five bucks and throw away their survey instrument. It's awesome. <laughs> You're kidding, yeah. you, man. I was a sucker. I took the survey because it had the five dollar bill paperclip to it. I, I but you know, in a month they'd send me another one, another five dollar bills, and that, oh, I was in. Yeah. I was in grad school, and I I guess I just assumed that. I needed to. I don't know. Maybe I should have used your method. But as I yeah, as I took the five dollars out, guess what I said? Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, now you and I are both complaining about the cost of of finding respondents to get into surveys. But that that's a part of it. Is that like we're all uh, profit maximizing individuals, right? Like we've all got limited resources, and we've got to do what's best for us. And, and sometimes it means you take that, take the money and run. You do. And incentives are not lost on me. I don't, I don't want to say that as, as glibly. No, I'm with is. you. My reaction to that kind of thing is absolutely glib, but you've got to understand that it's, it's contextually very deep. <laughs> I've been asked yeah. many times to do things like that. And I know exactly how well they work or don't work. And, and the contempt they have for their respondents when they put a dollar bill in an envelope and think that that's going to guilt you in to filling out their their 20 minute survey and then putting it like dutifully folding it putting it in an envelope and sending it back to them no uh-uh they get i, I earned a dollar just opening their stupid envelope mm. that's my construct but incentives incentives do work and i'm talking yeah. about like sweeps sweepstakes where you know five people get a hundred dollar gift card and honestly, the best incentives I've ever found are, are cash gift cards. So if you're doing oh, 100%, a hundred percent, yeah, like a Visa gift card, something like that. Oh, without a doubt. Really, if you're if you're a small company and you you, ju- you just want to do a survey with fifteen hundred people, number one, you can buy those responses, and and I think you're going to cover that. But you can offer an incentive that includes yeah. it could be as simple as a T-shirt. It could be it, you know give every give. 20% of the people that that do this a t-shirt and then they'll do it again next time you ask them right yeah, without a doubt no we we do that all the time at PFB so so you mentioned yeah brand awareness and um finding market opportunities people for bikes just 
published our study of the e-bike curious, which is the potential market for electric bike customers. We know what electric bike owners look like thanks to our work with Portland State University. We have the e-bike owner study, which is done every five years as Kelly is framing her face to identify herself as an e-bike owner. And, and that's great. So we know who we've reached already with this product, with this um, with this activity, um, electric bicycle riding. But how do we grow? Like finding the next group of folks that are interested, that are aware of e-bikes, but haven't yet pulled the trigger, learning about their barriers, learning about uh, what could drive them, what could motivate them to complete that transaction. That's how you're going to grow. It's not just like studying who's already in the pool, but it's looking at like, who who's coming up next who's uh maybe the group that we should be targeting that would be the lowest hanging fruit that would be the highest yield whatever the the uh, metric is um those sorts of studies short and concise like you said uh are are going to help get us there and and the next sort of like world of research questions that i would say are important would be the message testing and the um like the communication strategy stuff because i i think uh you know, we talked about the change in attention spans and how quick we move from like from one test to another. And, and if our survey seems like it's taking too long, we go forget it and we throw it out the window and we go do something else. We're the same way with information across every aspect of our lives, you know. And and it might be the case that current customers are really into social media, but your potential customers are really uh into some other source of information whether it's local shops or friends and family or referrals from experts they know in the activity like um, understanding where to distribute messages and then what messages to send is how you're going to like actually grab those folks and and those sorts of studies designing really unbiased studies that are going to help identify those opportunities are, are critical absolutely i mean and you can use these kinds of methods in really innovative ways like you know, you can use them for things like product feature design. Like, you know, throw up something where you know you have you do basically it's it's basically conjoint where you're looking at the different features that a consumer is is interested in prioritizing those features. Like, for instance, you know, it, I'll I'll stick with the backpack size, comfort. Um, it could be something as as um, specific as as frame, no frame. Yeah. Um, frame, um, breeze through back. I mean, you can you can get really specific, and that's that's the beauty of having these sm small, short, intimate surveys. Is that you're not digging for information like, "Hey, do you think my brand's authentic?" Yeah. You're digging for information like, you know, what if we sold you an undyed pack? Would you be willing? You know, is would that bother you? Yeah. Or how would you feel that? Or you could put something like a heat map up and a picture of the of 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 the pack. Or you could put it uh, do an A B and show some people one pack and the, another people the the other pack and see what this the different stuff that I dig. This is where the money is, and I hundred percent right. This is the fun part of market research. Yes. Yeah. That that sort of conjoint analysis and like bundling of goods and and like you said, is it size? Is it weight? Is it price? Is it some some sort of intangible, like I, I did a study years ago trying to determine um, the the value of being made in America and, and would customers accept a, a decreased price for made outside of the U.S. Because the company was trying to understand if there was an opportunity for them to cut their costs by moving some of their operations elsewhere. And that, inf that decision without information like this backing it up is really tough. But if you can look at this conjoint analysis, which goes, yeah, there's there's a lot of sensitivity to this. And so it would be really difficult 
folks would be not willing to pay very much at all for it if it was made outside of the U.S. because they've anchored on this brand or whatever. That sort of stuff's really fun to research and, and really important for those in the decision-making uh, positions to, to understand. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's why I do this. I like doing the top line stuff. I like talking about it. I like discussing, you know, industry issues and industry trends. But it's in terms of market research, man, the 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 I like digging for gold like the rest of us because there's <laughs> nothing there's nothing more exciting than finding a nugget. Nothing more exciting. It is. It's it's exactly like gold mining. And no, it I'm feels I wrote that down. It feels exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other sort of testing, which I really enjoy doing, which is, is fun for me, is like, um, I love Max Diff. I love uh, taking, taking a, Max Diff. a big list. Between. That's all. I love the space yeah. between. Yeah, the space between. Which of these fives, the mo- five product attributes are the most important? Like it, which are the least important? And then you come out with this ranked thing and you go, oh, shoot. Okay, yeah. This backpack definitely needs um, whatever. Uh, a front loading and a top loading zipper it definitely needs a, a bladder attachment for your water source like it needs these are the five most important things everything else is is uh you know can, can be done without and we're just gonna like focus on the best bag it's got to have these uh these products i we we started rocking with the bag metaphor and I, that's not my area of expertise so i i kind of petered out there just a little bit but you, you're you getting I mean. you're done yeah. you're down with the metaphor well some other- <laughs> Simple things that, that you can do, even if you're a small company, simple, simple things you can do. Um, Western Door price elasticity studies. So, you know, you know what your comps are, but there are a lot of price points that are available. And sometimes you can sell at a higher price point at a higher margin and make more money. So what you want to do is yeah. you think of your target audience and run a price elasticity study. And th- most of the survey companies have one just ready to go for you. You don't have to actually sure. it. So you can go on you know, Survey Monkey, or um, you can name any of the Alchemer, yeah. yeah. And they usually have what's called a Western Dorp study already already manufactured for you. You just have to, you know, customize it a little bit and get it out there. And you get a good idea of what your target audience is willing to pay for your product. Totally. Well, let's let's wrap there for now. And then next week, we can talk about finding your target audience and and getting folks into that study so that we're generating the data we need. Nice, because segmentation, as you know, is one of my favorite topics. Yeah, I think we already talked about it, but uh, we can do whatever we want. We're in charge here. It's our podcast. Well, since it's my favorite topic, I'm just going to keep talking about it (laughs) until somebody shuts me up. Yeah. (laughs) There's a million people just went, shut up, bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors. Presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.